we've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get the book, A World of Creativity, for a special price of $5.98 for paperback. And the Kindle version is only 99 cents. Go to mark-stinson.com to take advantage of this special offer. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. Welcome back to our podcast, friends, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And in many of our conversations with multimedia storytellers around the world, we've talked about how they're adapting their craft and distribution in, in worlds of streaming, both music streaming, TV streaming, film streaming. But we've left out of the conversation until now, Broadway productions, Broadway plays, and that's going to be the topic of our conversation today. And I'm so happy to welcome our guest, Jack Canfora. He's an award-winning playwright and producer himself. Jack, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Mark. So happy to be here. Yeah, it's a burning conversation, I know, among creators of all media, how to adapt not only the content, but the delivery of our work. And you're doing a lot in this area. What's your perspective on this? First of all, obviously, I agree with you on that. It's I am a, I'm a theater person, haven't really been a, in a multimedia person most of my life, but the pandemic changed that, right? Because it suddenly became utterly impossible to do theater. And uh, my I started this group with my friends just really to read plays once a week, just to keep our muscles from atrophying too much. And also really just to see each other and spend time with each other because we were also isolated. But after a while, we, it really gained a momentum of its own. And in those days, people would just start the idea of streaming plays. And they would be usually the stage reading thing, which and by that I like they'd have like music stands or they'd sit in their apartments and just read the scripts on Zoom. Or they would just be a, a repeat of an actual play that would, had been recorded live. Um, but we thought that there was probably a way to use the medium to its best advantage, the streaming medium, which is to, we had to find a new way to do it though. So we worked on finding something that we thought use the, the limitations, so to speak, of streaming to its best advantage, which meant that we would try and create a space in which that wasn't like a Zoom meeting. And that although everyone recorded separately, it was, we gave the impression with the aesthetics that they were all in the same place. And we made the decision to have light, like a Zoom reading, look right into the screen. And even though the scene is between two or more people, uh, and they are ostensibly talking to each other, you are looking at them. And what it did and what it does, according to those who have watched it, and we've gotten a lot of feedback on it, that it is a very intimate experience because the character is talking in your direction, even if she's not, he or she isn't talking to you. And many people have said it feels like they're in the scene. Mm -hmm. So there's a real intimacy to it. And again, it was learning as we go. Uh, because it's a pretty brand, it's a wild west. It's a brand new field in a lot of ways in terms well, of- Well, exactly. You know, You're trying to yeah. create this experience. And it does sound like, and I saw one, but the experience of being closer to the actors uh, yeah. in the scene, as you described, you can talk about the Broadway show experience. There's something about being on Broadway, being in the small theater. And even they try to recapture that with the national traveling shows and so forth. Yes. There's nothing like seeing To Kill a Mockingbird on the stage. Uh, right. But you've created a different kind of experience and mm. a different way to deliver that show, maybe. Yeah, we think so. We're not pretending to be television or film, first of all, and which are both, I love them both, but 
it's different. And we're also not really pretending to be theater because like you said, there's something, there's a lot to be said. I'm a person of the theater. I love it. And um, a lot to be said for a shared communal experience with act in a sort of the audience in a sort of dialogue with the actors, unlike say movies where you're not in a dialogue with him, obviously, unless you're unwell. And so here, <laughs> and so the actor, it's a feedback loop where the actors get something from the audience and vice versa. And that's a unique and tremendously good experience, but we obviously can't do that. But what we can do that is also theatrical, more say than television or film, is we can come up with an intimacy and a use of language, like television and films, films more than television, really strip away language and tell the story almost entirely visually if they can. Whereas theater, there's certainly a very visual aspect of theater, no question, but it really relies a lot on language to tell the story. So playwriting is different than screenwriting in a very big way, not only just in terms of compensation, but it's it's it really does a lot with language. And so we wanted to keep that. And so we wanted to give people a taste of some of what theater has to offer. And I think the problem too with, you talked about Broadway, but just theater in general, is that there are, there are two big problems with people getting it on their radar culturally. And most people don't even think about it. I live about an hour outside of New York City, which is arguably the center of theater in the world, in the right. Western world. And most of us don't think about it. So it's really not on a lot of people's radars. And I think there are two big issues with that. And that's one is geography and people aren't necessarily anywhere near a good professional theater. And two is finance. It's very expensive, incredibly expensive to go to these shows these days, even off Broadway, where I've had some of my plays done. And it's not cheap anymore. And so I think those are two big things keeping people away from theater. And I think there are things that theater can give and provide to an audience that others don't. Just TV and film have things that theater can't. But I think we can provide some of those things to people because we we do not charge a lot for these films. In fact, we have a, a podcast. I said a film, but it's a play. We have a podcast version, basically a radio play that's for free, that's streaming now. And uh, so we feel that we can help overcome both of those hurdles. It's really an historic opportunity. If you have internet access, basically, you can watch us. Well, it's interesting you said that at the beginning, maybe in pandemic times, that this was the necessity to get the work out, that the playwright, the players got mm -hmm. together and said, how else can we do this? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but now you've said, this is an accessibility and availability, how to get more of the work closer right. to the potential audiences and maybe expose a new generation to the work. Well, that's what we're hoping to do in our way. What I liken it to in a weird way is, because I liken everything to baseball. And uh, in the 30s, when baseball started being broadcast on the radio and in the 50s and on te television, the owners were very hesitant about that, thinking that if we give it away for free, they're not going to want to come and see the game. But in fact, it had the opposite effect, that millions of Americans now could listen to these games and many more would then take a long drive to see how it would be in, in reality to actually go to a ballpark and watch a game. And I think it's the same here for theater is I think that people just don't, people don't, it doesn't occur to them because it's not part of their world. And by making it very accessible, I think that we can hopefully encourage people to really you view that as something that is going to be part of their, their diet culturally. And you talk about, of course, the expense of going to a show sometimes. This is also a way to make it more available to underserved communities, people yes. who might never, otherwise never see some of this work. Exactly right. And our first season, which had four plays, it's, it was a diverse four full-length plays. made a lot of readings and available for free to people in shorter parts. But they were it was from a very diverse group of actors and writers and directors and so we love the idea of making it as inclusive as we can make it to as many people 
all you want, all you really need to do is want to watch it <laughs> and show up. And right now we're streaming the first play of that season, which happens to be a play I wrote called Jericho. That's streaming for free. So you just go to our YouTube page, which is New Normal Rep, and you can watch it for free and then go to any pod platform and type in New Normal Rep and step nine, number nine, which is the number of, name of the play. And you can listen to that for completely free. So we're really just trying to get people enthused about it. And your background and training is in Shakespearean theater. And I was mm. having this out-of-body experience imagining Shakespeare and the Globe Theater experience. Mm. It was always a community gathering place. Yes. It was not necessarily yeah, just for the upper like, echelon. Absolutely. Right? They called them the groundlings. They'd show up and they'd stand the whole time and they'd and they would shout things at the, uh, the actors. And it was a very interactive <laughs> experience. And if you ever, I've often thought, frankly, that if a lot of PTAs really knew what Shakespeare was writing and a lot of his plays, they would be- <laughs> The school boards would be having another- <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shakespeare was not above coming up with some body and funny stuff to appease everyone from literally kings and queens to commoners, commoners and people just who'd come in and pay a half penny and uh, watch the play. So it was very much a thing of the people. And I, in, in America, even in New York, for example, in the 40s and 50s, when there were a lot of what you would think of as like the classic American plays like Streetcar Named Desire or Death of a Salesman, mm -hmm. the theater was a lot more democratic. It was a lot more democratic. The prices weren't ex exceptional and out of the reach of, say, the average clerk or teacher or someone like that. So if you wanted to go to the theater, you absolutely could. And then in the 70s and 80s, it got away from that. But Off-Broadway came up. And Off-Broadway really became a very big institution. And a lot of the best plays which is different than musicals per se, but musicals too. They came up and, but even now off-Broadway is getting to be very expensive. I think that we really are excited about this medium in terms of spreading the word. And again, availability, accessibility. You've mm -hmm. also talked about maybe lesser known works or works of yeah. newer writers, newer actors, newer producers. How does this impact the content creator side of it? It, it does in a very positive way, because as a playwright, I'm at a big disadvantage from, say, a novelist or a poet, right? Because we're a short story writer, because when they write their story, it's done. It is. It exists. And you can read it or not read it. It can be read or not read, but it exists. When I write my finish my script, it's just the blueprint for what's going to ha supposed to happen. And to produce a play takes a lot of money, even relatively small off-Broadway regional house. Still, we're talking several hundred thousand dollars very often. So it's not for the faint of heart or faint of purse. And doing it here, it's much less expensive. It's still not inexpensive by my standards. It's still probably, I think we produced each of these four plays for about, on average, about $35,000, which is a lot more money than I have lying around, but <laughs> it compared to the several hundred thousand dollars it might cost to get other plays done, mounted in theaters, it's relatively cheaper and therefore a little bit more democratic. And what about that Broadway dream? Hey, I'm going to come to New York. I'm going to get the job. I'm going to try out. I'll make the cast. Yeah. How does that change in this new world? I think that's still the dream. That's the thing. All of us in the company are involved in theater and still it's not like we're saying we're done with theater. We love theater very much and want to do this as a supplement to that. It's, I hope that it, what it does is it makes things more accessible. And certainly, obviously, in, in the past 10 years, even the 15 years, certainly the multimedia experience has been such that it's so much more democratized now, which is anyone can upload something onto YouTube, which is great. On the other hand, it's harder to get heard above the noise, right? Because you're, there's such an inundation of it. But by doing it this way, by doing some theatrical works this way, it definitely 
allows people to get some their work heard and get their work out there. Even in addition to the four full productions we did, we had what was called an incubator, which we would allow, basically for those who don't know, like writers, playwrights go through a lot of readings of their plays to hear them out loud. And it's invaluable. It inevitably sounds different when it's heard out loud, as opposed to when you're writing it in your head. And so what we were able to do, and we hope to continue to do, is provide an outlet where playwrights whose works aren't necessarily finished and who may not necessarily have access to professional actors to read their work will get to do that. And so they'll get to hear it out loud. We offer it for all our subscribers and to watch for free. And it's, I think for people, a lot of people, it's fascinating to see how plays are developed, right? And so they can offer their feedback. And I know as a writer, I find hearing it you can't put on a play unless you've heard it several times, probably, and learn some lessons from that. And so it's we hope to provide another avenue for people to do that. Yes. And, it, and it's, there's the old networking thing, too. The more people you meet, the more people you get to know, the more people can get to know one another and, and share each other's work. Yes, be in the same room or in this case, the virtual room. Right, yes. exactly. And I'm glad you underscored this word company. I can think of no better example than the theater where mm-hmm. collaboration and company and cooperation makes a complete difference. Let's talk about that for a minute, because I think so many people who even listen to our podcast, think of that creator, the lonely writer, inventor, the sculptor in the basement creating their craft. But boy, you don't get the work out without a company in your business. Gosh, no. And in fact, for me, being a playwright is, I talked about a disadvantage of being a playwright, but being a playwright is a lot of is perfect for me in the sense that I like my alone time. And so it does involve a lot of alone time, but it doesn't, but I also like working with people and collaborating. And that's the only way plays ever get done is when you're working with other people, hearing other actors, hearing actors read it out loud. In terms of this company, it it is an actual, what we call a repertory company, which used to mean that people would run things in repertory, which means they do two or three plays at once with the same basic group of actors playing different parts. And we have a lot of people who come in and out of the company, which, because we always want to get in new voices and see new faces, but we do have a core of actors with whom I have worked in one capacity or another, stretching back at least 15 years. And one thing I am proud of that I figured out early on is that if you meet people who, with whom you collaborate well, whom you respect their talent and intelligence, and you also like and that's tough to find all three of those categories filled, right? But you find them, You, I try to hang on to them as much as I can. And I think we have built a nice company based on that. And so I, and I, and it, I think it seasons and enriches the work too. It really mm-hmm. it makes everyone better. Everyone knows each other's rhythms and each other's strengths and areas where they need to be watchful and things like that. And uh, and believe me, the actors I've known for years are not at all shy about telling me where I need to be watchful. <laughs> so, they, yes, you know, let's say there's an open conversation. <laughs> yes, very much a dialogue. Very but much you're also dialogue. debunking some of this maybe ego. It, it might be a room of self-confident, strong people. But if they don't get along, then they're not going to make that long-term commitment. They're not going to be on your team for a long time no, uh, or be a part not. of that company. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because I think everyone, and we have, for example, Jill Eikenberry is in our company. And Jill Eikenberry has done everything you can do. She was a Golden Globe winner, Emmy-nominated actress. She was on the cover of TV Guide in the 80s with LA Law. She's done a lot of great stage work too. Marsha Mason, the Academy Award-nominated actress, directed Jericho. So there are a lot of really accomplished people 
in our company and other actors who work very regularly. And so it's not that no one like has egos, of course they do, but no one, certainly Jill and Marsha among them, no one is puts on any airs. And I think that's another advantage of a company, right? Because we've get got to be a corny little cliche. It's a cliche for a reason. We're a little kind of a family in a lot of ways. And um, like families, you can't get too big for your britches. And, and and also people have a lot of respect and deference for each other, but not too much. We We all know each other and trust each other implicitly. And that's so valuable and rare in like the performing arts because it's such a it's such a lonely in some ways cutthroat sort of game that it is really reassuring not only personally but in terms of the work getting the best work out of by having an ensemble like you said folks my guest is jack canfor he's a award-winning american playwright actor and teacher himself and let's talk about jack the storytelling aspect Almost all the creators who have been guests on the show do somehow come down to telling a story, creating an experience, whether they're in hospitality or singer-songwriters. They're creating yeah. art and they're creating a story. I'd love to hear your perspective on creating the connection with the audiences and really relating these stories. First of all, I'm going to focus on a word you just used, connection. I think that's incredibly important because that's the whole part of things and not to get too deep into the weeds here. But to me, I think storytelling, along with opposable thumbs, is the thing that makes us most human, right? Mm -hmm. And my my friend Eleanor Handley, who stars in Jericho, and she also directed the radio play, talk about an ensemble, she said, and we started doing these readings during the pandemic, and as a company, she likened it to a little campfire, sat around and told each other stories to feel less alone. I think C.S. Lewis said that we write or we read to know that we're not alone. Uh, and I think that's, and that's storytelling. I think narrative is the it's the basic language of human experience, right? That's why we, dreams are narratives, strange narratives very often, but they're narratives. And so we all need stories, I think, to make us feel, I don't think it's a luxury. I think we, we all need stories and we all tell a thousand stories ourselves every day, even like about our own lives, right? We are the stars and other people play different roles. And so I just think narratives are so important for the exact reason you cited earlier, which is connection. It's a world that Gosh, really, it come, I think it becomes harder and harder um, to feel connected. There's just, the Surgeon General just put out a report about loneliness. Yes, I just as saw a, that. Yeah, as a real serious and abiding disease, I would probably think in the Western world, but certainly in America. And I think there are a lot of things that conspire to that. And I think one of the only ways, or one of the best ways, I should say, of fighting against that is forming all sorts of different types of communities and, by, and finding having common experiences that kind of bind us. And storytelling is that on every sort of level, sporting events, sports. I love sports. They're narratives, they're narratives and TV shows and things that we can all talk about around the proverbial water cooler, right? Mm -hmm. These are all inevitably narratives and uh, we're a pretty gossipy species <laughs> and telling the story is no matter what kind of story it is, the way we know that we're not alone, that we have a common experience of things. I love this visual of sitting around the campfire. It's fantastic. Yeah. She came up with a good one. I'm, I, I give her credit for that. She's very really, yes. uh, good. Super. Well, Jack, how can we connect with you and learn more about this work and the works that you're producing and publishing? I'm so glad you asked, Mark. <laughs> you can, I would love everyone to go to our website, www.newnormalrep.org. And you can see really all sorts of things we have, including our YouTube page, which has Jericho. It also has some small 10 minute plays. It has a couple of sketches. It has links to various other things, Our which we really would love you to check out our 
radio play step nine, which is available on any podcast platform. If you just, like I said, if you just do a search of new normal rep and step nine, the number nine, you'll find it. We're very proud of it. It's an eight part play, basically an old fashioned radio play. We're very proud of it. And uh, for me, you can follow new normal rep at uh, on Twitter at normal rep. And you can follow me at Jack Canfora on Twitter. And uh, I have plays available on Amazon. So I would love it if everyone bought nine or 10 copies. There you go. <laughs> just to have on hand. I love yeah. that. Jack, it's been such a great conversation. I don't think I could let you go, though, without looking out uh, and periscoping a little bit into the future. And we've talked a lot about uh, new and perhaps uh, unappreciated work, but also new work. What's on the horizon for you? What do you see around the corner? For me personally, I have a, I'm working on a play now. We're trying to get producers for it. Just I was talking, talking to you earlier about how hard it is to get a play. Because that's what mm -hmm. I'm trying to do. It's about... It's a, we. It's about Mozart and Beethoven, and they, they. We think that they knew each other briefly, and so this is a play on on that. But it's also very down to earth, I think, and hopefully funny and touching. The uh, as for the new normal rep ourselves, we have a lot of different plans taking shape. But right now, it's grant application season for me, and so that a lot of that is contingent on our on our budgets. We'd love to do some more full productions, which we hope we will. We think we will get to do soon with new sorts of voices, and uh, continue to do both radio plays and also these readings, which are really fascinating and fun for people to be a part of and great for other actors and, and more importantly, writers to, to get their work out there. Oh, fantastic. And if you would, Jack, leave us an encouraging word of support for the mm -hmm. up and coming creator, the actor, the storyteller that, that might say, gosh, in this world of streaming and mm -hmm. online and everything, how do I get my art out into the world? What I would say is that Every it's always a challenge. It's always an uphill climb a little bit to be creative and be a get your content out there. Having said that, I think in a lot of ways there's never been a better time ever. I think the shortest, the simplest thing is to do it. Is what I think Hemingway said, and uh, that's uh, that's what you need to do. Just produce your own stuff. Get together with your friends, create your own content, and put it out there. Put it out there, and then the marketing and how to get it seen. That's something that, frankly, I'm still trying to work out myself, but you won't get anywhere unless you have the courage to just put it out there and uh, you'll learn as you go and uh, and just in, make as many alliances as you can with people. Not in a sort of Machiavellian way, but in a way that make your own community of creators if possible, and uh, they will do nothing but help you and, uh, and you help each other. Yeah, do it. Do it is what would be my words of encouragement. Fantastic. Let's put it out there. My guest has been Jack Canfora. He's an award-winning American playwright. He's an actor and teacher himself, and he's the artistic director of New Normal Rep. Jack, can't thank you enough for a great conversation. I've really enjoyed well, it. This has been great, Mark. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Yes, indeed. And listeners, come back again next time. We've stamped our creative passport in New Jersey outside of New York City. We've been talking about Broadway and theater, but boy, theater's in every town. So if you have a chance, go support the theater. And if you can't go, then check it out online and these new channels that people like Jack are creating. And let's continue to have conversations with creators like this. We're going to find the encouragement to get inspired for new ideas, but also we're going to learn how to organize those ideas. And most of all, how to gain the confidence and to get the connections to get our work out into the world. So until next time, I'm Mark Stenson, and we're unlocking your world of creativity. We'll see you soon. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media. 
creators of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceRoom.Love. If you like this podcast, here's another show that you'll like from BSB Media. The Patients Speak, Healthcare Innovations Accelerating the Patient Journey. It features interviews with healthcare leaders, patient advocates, medical providers, and researchers. Presented by 83 Bar. Look for The Patient Speak on your favorite podcast app.